sometimes I need a little brightness in my life. And what better way to brighten my day than with a colorful piece of jewelry? An inspirational duo that has been creating pops of color to wear for over 20 years are Rosie Wolfenden and Harriet Fine. With their jewelry brand, Tati Divine, they supply us with jewelry that is quirky, funny, and sometimes deeply political. Both awarded an MBA for their contribution to fashion, their brand has stood the test of time, stayed on trend, and regularly pushes contemporary agendas, feminism and equality, for example. To talk about their career to date, what it is like to run the brand, and what they have in store for the future, I have invited Rosie and Harriet. Welcome both. Hello, thanks for having me, Sophie. Hello. Thank you for joining me. So Rosie and Harriet, to start, could you perhaps each tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Okay, yes. So my name is Harriet and I met Rosie at art school many moons ago and we started making whatever we wanted, basically. And um, and now in the business, I mostly do all of the drawing and all of the product development and do all the storytelling through the imagery. So I kind of do the practical side of what we do, essentially. So Harriet's our creative director. And as she says, yeah, does all of that. And then I sort of look after the other side. I seem to sort of head up mostly the, the PR and marketing, but also the sort of business development and the team and just keeping everything on track. Um, and making sure it sticks to our sort of, you know, our raison d'etre, which is really to have fun and to um, express ourselves really through our jewellery. So you were both not necessarily trained as jewellers. What drew you to start a jewellery brand? <laughs> uh, well, we didn't mean to start a jewellery brand. You know, Rosie and I both did fine art. And um, when we first started, we were going to be a band one week. We were going to do illustration one week. We were going to be probably chefs another week we just had this overriding urge to create things and when we were and make things and do things and be part of something and when we were young back in 1999 when we left college we were just making outfits making outfits making jewelry just tying on bits of anything that we found in junk shops and charity shops onto our bodies to become outfits kind of to telling who the world who we were which is also, kind of our entry point into jewelry yeah we didn't have any money and we also really desperately did not want to look like anybody else and and that's always been a sort of a, a motivation is like let's make something that's never existed or doesn't exist which by default has led to making really original work um but as Harriet says that like we were just making stuff to wear we started doing a market store um which essentially was paying the rent um we didn't want to get proper jobs as it were never had a proper job <laughs> one thing led to another and um before we knew it yeah we we had a, a full-time, full-blown business. Yeah, because we, we found a lot of leather in, in a bin, uh, essentially. And uh, we cut it up into little wristbands because I was wearing a bit of old belt that, we'd, that I'd found in a charity shop around my wrist, like a cuff. Um, and that was kind of the beginning of kind of the idea of commerce around buying and selling things, which moved us from making things just for ourselves into selling things and sustaining ourselves by it. But... But the transition towards jewellery was um, not like proper jewellery as it were, because previously it was definitely would call it accessories because it was small leather goods, really. 
um, belts. We did a lot of belts when we very first started, lots of cuffs, lots of belts, lots of like neck pieces um, that didn't have any, any metal components at all or anything that you would consider to be traditional because we just had absolutely no idea where you'd buy, buy that things, those things from and we didn't have any terminology. I didn't know the word jump ring. There was no internet, so we couldn't have like, we couldn't Google how to make jewelry. Um, we made up our own unorthodox techniques because we just wanted to attach things to our bodies as opposed to do it properly. Um, so we'd never learned how to be like how to how to solder anything or anything about um, where, where you'd buy things from. It's just not an option. So we just we just felt our way um, through kind of like a, a kind of a landscape that was not accessible essentially so we've just, just and we always have done things our own way essentially it's probably be about 10 10 years ago we realized that actually let's just stick to jewelry jewelry became a thing and when we were doing small leather goods um you know belts were super fashionable um they were all but you'd wear them around your hips like very very specific um and actually because we've got our our exhibition touring with the Crafts Council at the moment and doing all the research into our archive and pulling out all the relevant bits found quite a few articles from the late 90s about how belts were like the the thing um, but we just as Harriet said followed our noses and made things we wanted to wear and it quite quickly well very organically but it just morphed into jewellery and it you know just being jewellery it kind of crystallised and um and in, in the beginning, we didn't just make jewellery, as it were. We made everything else. So we were making, like, to get into the fashion week, we didn't just send our samples in. We made, like, a giant pick-and-mix bag or we made a giant pearl necklace box. And when we did our first ever collection, we did a pop video to go with it and we made a fanzine. So we were just, like, creative wizards, essentially. We just were making stuff everywhere. Like, always creating a world, the Tatty Divine world, not necessarily um there was no plan it was just that we we were really obsessed with what we were into and our friends and everything we did and it became it was quite hard back then to separate life from work it was all one um and I guess you know we had a sort of education in becoming artists and that was really our um the direction we went in it was it was all or nothing it was 24 7 um we lived and breathed it but it did create a very very sort of authentic world and a very authentic language for ourselves to use as as jewelry designers and makers it has a very solid foundation of um we did a lot of work developing that world <laughs> we went to a lot of parties and went to a lot of went to a lot of gigs and art galleries and you know immersed ourselves in our world mm. the obvious question then to ask is of course you did it with the two of you you didn't do it alone what made you decide to do it together I think we were um, living together so we were finishing our degree at, at Chelsea and um, for whatever reasons I ended up living with Harriet and we graduated I mean you wanted to graduate so May June of 99 yeah we, just, we were just hanging out together so we very quickly our first um, market store was in July so it was very very quick we were living together we we're making stuff we thought let's sell it together and I mean, there was a point in about August, I remember getting a phone call from Harriet saying, just had like Urban Outfitters along to the market stall. They want to place an order. 
shall we do this? Is this like, this is actually quite serious now. Um, shall we do it? And we'd found a name, et cetera, et cetera. And we sort of both, I guess, committed to each other that we were both committed really that we, and we were excited by it and wanted to, to keep going together. Yeah, it was like, it was like a, just an extension of our friendship, you know, really, you know, we had been, we made a, like a quarter of Rosie's bedroom into a studio already. We found some old bits of wood on the floor and made of like a wooded floor area and had been drawing funny little bits in sketchbooks even before we left college. I've got a sketchbook that says Harriet and Rosie down the spine of it with like weird drawings in it of a skirt that's like a lampshade that you can pull up with a string like a Venetian blind. And like we were cutting off old pairs of jeans and twisting the legs around and we were upcycling but didn't have a name then. Um, just just making stuff together. I think um, the market stalls with Rosie was always really fun, you know, just like it was just an extension of the night before, essentially. Um, <laughs> lived in Brixton and we'd go out Friday night and possibly not go to bed. Just go straight to the market. And I would drive over to Portobello at like 5am. Oh my God, probably still dressed up from the night before. It was just definitely we were still dressed up from the night. Having before. a lot of fun. It was really, really fun. But also at college, we did this lovely seminar uh, about um, Tracy Edmund and Sarah Lucas and their shop they had on Bethel Green Road called The Birds. You know, so it was like not a million miles away from a, just an art practice. It wasn't like we were wrote a business plan and sat down and and we're going to be business women, you know, it was, it was much, it was much more different. It was a much coming from a different place than where we are today, essentially, which is like a proper going concern. Then we were just a bit fancy free, essentially. And we just wanted to move to Hackney and drink wine and make sure we were in the middle of where the zeitgeist was really. That's amazing. But yeah, as you say, you did build a business, a successful one, might I say, and collaboratively. What do you think is the key to that success for it to become that successful business? Really, really strong work ethic. <laughs> and trust. Rosie and I never stopped. No, we never stopped. But we also were always very, very much um, respectful of each other. Um, you see lots of partnerships come and go and it's you know it's hard work sometimes but ultimately Tatty Divine is like our shared baby child grown up now oh my gosh but um, you know it's everything to both of us and we have huge amounts of respect and trust in each other so I think that's the really fundamental basis of, of running a business with somebody is you've got to have shared goals essentially which is to nurture and, and look after this thing you've created so we've both whatever our actions have been over the years have always put Tatty Divine first really yeah and and fundamentally as well when it started it was fun and it sh and like they're really it should just continue to make us have fun so it's like one of those things where we should just it, it kind of just it, it kind of it provides everything in our lives you know it's like it's kind of an amazing thing to be able to do whatever you want and for it to sustain you. I mean, I come to work on a Monday morning and I, I, I sometimes, I struggle to imagine what it must be like to not like to go to work. I can't join in with those conversations, 
people have them I listen to them and I just think why do you do that then what are you doing that for that sounds awful just don't do it anymore but obviously it's not that easy and that makes me feel and I'm very grateful for everything that we get to do I'm grateful that um Rosie and I have got such great complementary skill sets as well you know just like neither of us would have done what we've done by ourselves um I think that there's this special a special kind of magic in a sense essentially you know it's like tango, doesn't it <laughs> yeah you know I mean and there's stuff that we've done that's been really challenging you know there's been really tough tough moments and there's been really elation there's been pure elation as well and without someone to share in those things mm-hmm. I, I can't imagine what that must be like you know or someone to go you know it's okay we can we can just walk straight into vogue of course we can you know or we can just get on a plane to Japan or we can just you know work out how to do the VAT it's like sometimes you just need someone to hold your hand kind of thing a little bit or and and talk to it's like like we're gonna make some jewelry it's like can we make a lobster necklace that goes all the way down to your belly button and and you know like your inner monologue's going yeah I think so but maybe everybody in their whole world else will think that's completely mental and and Rosie go yeah of course we can and then go like then that's all that's all it takes it's just the it's it's like putting confidence in each other that we're doing the right thing we're having a strong I think the vision has um is very much has been there since the start you know when you run a business you do need to make the figures add up and it all needs to work but ultimately I don't think finance has ever been our our what motivates us really I mean as Harriet said it's Tati Divine looks after us it enables us to exist it it pays our rent and it you know etc etc but it's it's about making really brilliant jewelry and stuff and you know filling the world with with creativity really um and being as Harriet said it's like being enabled to do that we're so lucky in that we can do that it's it's amazing but that vision is very clear and I think I think we've become quite good at communicating it to our team and to each other and 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 sticking to it really I wanted to ask you all Tati Divine Jewelry is designed and handmade in-house by your team. You have made this a really important aspect of the business. Has that been a challenge to sort of combat these trends of moving production abroad? And and how important is, you know, your team to to your business? Oh, 100% massively important, completely and utterly important. And also we're complete control freaks. So, I mean, the thought of having anybody else make our jewellery is just completely off the chart. Just no, basically. It's like we've spent the last 20 years developing quite like a bespoke way of making jewellery. And there's not just a factory that we could get it made in. You know, it's just like... It would change it in in its complete entirety. It would change the way it had to be made. It would change the quantities in which we had to make it, which would then in turn impact upon our freedom to make the more bonkers jewellery, if you like. It's like we have um, a certain amount of creative freedom because we manufacture ourselves so that we don't impose minimums on ourselves. If we think something's just a little bit off the wall, we can only make 10 of it. Whereas if you tried to have that relationship with a factory, they wouldn't put that into production because it would make financial sense. Also, we've got one of the joys of Tati Divine is that we're quite agile. We're able to be quite reactive to things. So that being in-house is just 
brilliant. We, we could just go, yes, we can we can make a hundred more of that tomorrow or, you know, whatever it is. So it really enables us to, to respond to, you know, things and how things sell very much as Harriet says, it's all in our control. So yeah, it's super important. And right at the beginning, we did look into manufacturing abroad, but it was just so, it felt so difficult. And actually all our time is given to making things as brilliant as possible. Being on an aeroplane, every other month because you've got to go and check on the factories it just would feel like a waste of time to us when we could be selling it making it thinking about it talking about you know it's just yeah we didn't want to waste time doing that yeah I mean and also the team just grew so gradually it's we didn't like one day just decide to set up a factory it was like the our first member of staff came to work for us ever and she came to make jewelry you know which essentially previously to that had been me you know, and so when she first came, I just was like, I don't really know what my role is in the business anymore. If she's come to make the jewellery and then we got, on, you know, and then we got our own laser cutter and I worked out how to use the laser cutter. And then we got someone to run the laser cutter, you know, who. So it's just like gradually our team really just become little parts of Rosie and I, you know, just like eventually you need to have someone to like head up operations and finance and things like that but they started off with me me and Rosie doing all of those roles you know all of the wholesale all of the everything you just and then you just you just don't have time to do it because everything grows gradually and then all of a sudden you've got a team and and they are like a family essentially you know like we refer to ourselves as team tatty and we do things in a certain way and I think everybody is invested in in the vision and that in its own is just a lovely part of uh, the world to exist in. Tati Divine Jewelry is colorful, it's playful, but you also, like you said, you do smaller runs or you do things with a political message. Could you tell us a little bit more about sort of these really special pieces, the pieces and initiatives that you support? I guess, Harry, I mean, we are, we are and always have been feminists and that's just who we are um, and we're lucky enough to be our own bosses and and you know the patriarchy has has pressed down on us in the past but we've managed to create a, a an existence where we can be in charge and not feel too impacted by it but you know as it was interesting like from the campaigning perspective and from the feminist perspective and equality um I guess we first noticed what's now known as the third wave around 2013 when there was a campaign to to say no more page three and um the organizers of that came to us and just said you want to get involved and we were like yes 100 percent want to get get involved and that was just a sort of the beginning of this dialogue i guess with with campaigning organizations and then in 28 was it 2018 year of the woman which was 100 years of suffrage for women um, we, we spoke to um, the City of London and they were organising the Gillian Waring statue to go up in Parliament Square. And it was the first statue of a woman in Parliament Square and it's the first statue by a woman as well. So all of these, these things would just really press all of our buttons, basically, like get me and Harriet excited and, and interested. And we want to be part of that and help spread that message. And we spoke to them about making some jewellery to sort of commemorate it and to help share all of those messages, which we did. And from that, we worked with the Fawcett Society, who are the leading gender equality charity in Britain. 
and it just really um, is something we must we just absolutely believe in. It's it's not we don't even have to think twice. It just we just want a fairer world. And you know when you look at what's going on in Afghanistan right now, it's absolutely horrifying. And you just sort of we take for granted where we're at, but there's so much more work to do. Um, and we just found it quite interesting that jewelry is actually you know it stems back to having a badge of affiliation it's like I wear this badge because I support this cause well jewelry does that too and taking that into to necklaces and um you know and it's just been fantastic and it's allowed people to really express themselves in a contemporary way essentially yeah yeah because the pieces always start conversations you know like if you're wearing Tati Divine invariably someone's going to come up to you and ask you where your necklace is from um, so and if it's got a message in it then you get to tell somebody else about your message and invariably they're going to be interested and they're going to tell somebody else so it's, it's this really brilliant way of getting a message out there and as as um, people who've got like a certain amount of public visibility I feel like it's our almost like our duty to make sure that we we bang the drum for things that we care about I think positivity is a really big part of us I think both Harriet and I are sort of absolutely very positive people we always look at the positive side of a situation which I think actually when I look back is really really has been really an important part of our journey because we've always stepped forward in a positive way rather than put being pulled back in a negative way and I think that's really important the brand has also considered sustainability, which in the first instant might not seem straightforward as your medium acrylic has got a bad rep. But could you share why the material appealed to you in the first instance and what you are doing to be environmentally conscientious? Yeah, of course. I mean, it's that's a really complex one that we're currently just beginning to slightly unpick, as it were. Um, we were always drawn to bright, colourful plastic things. So Harriet and I spent most of our time in junk shops, charity shops, car boot sales, secondhand stuff and finding bits of plastic from the, you know, the 70s or the 60s and just finding an absolute love in that and it, and it really telling a story, whether it be quite nostalgic or, you know, for whatever reasons. Um, and when we started making jewellery, what really seemed to chime was when we started using the brightly coloured acrylic. So that, that's obviously become part of our aesthetic, part of our DNA, part of what we make and what we do. And it's been a really interesting few years because we've been watching the bioplastic development very carefully. It's very still currently quite brown and grey, which just doesn't work for our aesthetic and for what our customers expect. However, we are making really good strides into recycled acrylic. <clears throat> we're more and more, we're currently at about... 10% of our products are made out of recycled acrylic and we're, we're trying to get that up to 20. Um, and we've set ourselves some goals to really look at that and work at that. And we use um, wood where we can. I think where the, the story around sustainability is a very wide and complex one. And when you start to look at our business and our practices, we, we have an incredibly ethical practice. The product, it's not, it's not throwaway, it's not landfill. It is forever. And in fact, we want it to last forever. And what's I mean, we, we've always made a habit of making as little, little waste as possible. So everything is cut, tessellated within a within a hair's width of it, you know, within its life. Um, so there's very little waste. The waste that we do create is is recycled. And um, recently we just managed to get it 
sent to the people that create the recycled acrylic we are now using. So there's a sort of very circular um, operation going on there, um, which is really, really important. And, you know, we, we make product that lasts forever because it, it's meant to last forever. Um, it is for people to carry on wearing. We offer a repair service. So if there's ever a, a, a breakage or a problem, we can fix it. And so, you know, when you start to look at it more closely, you realise that it's actually, it actually is a, a, quite a sustainable business. In the grand scheme of things, we use very, very small amounts of acrylic. You know, acrylic's generally created to for solar panels and um, shop display and huge mass pieces of work. So the small amounts we use are small. I mean, that does, is, doesn't forgive the, the creation process, but at the moment we're really looking into the science of that and understanding that and seeing hopefully in the next few years where we can start offsetting our, our footprint and, and really understanding that in, in all the detail. But ethically, you know, we, we, we've signed up to the UN's Sustainable Development Goals. Um, we're very much signed up to the, the production and consumer side. So we've made, we're making sure all of our, wherever we can be recycled, you know, with the packaging, et cetera, that's all above board. Um, and then on the sort of gender equality side, we'll continue our work in making sure that we can help promote that using our jewelry as a, as a force for good. I think that's the end of my spiel. <laughs> it was... Uh... The material that we started with, you know, it was the material that gave us the freedom to do what we wanted to do. It still does now. Um, so there's there's best ways in general because we only make what we need. And I am a firm believer in not filling the world full of rubbish. You know, it's like I only want to put things in it that are truly beautiful and truly original and that people are going to truly love. And I think if you only make things like that, they're not going to end up in the bin which is the only problem about plastic. The only thing, we should just treat plastic the same as we treat gold, and then this wouldn't be a problem. You would never put a golden lunchbox in the bin. Just just don't treat it badly. Just, it should, that is so true. So just true. Is. <laughs> you have also branched beyond jewellery, um, having developed kits, workshops, running events, and, you know, of course, your exhibitions. How important is this side of the business to the business and to you as to creatives? I think um, it's really important because it lets people kind of be part of it. And I think Tattered Bone is quite inclusive, you know, and I think it's really nice to have that um, communication and connection with our customers because, um, I mean, when we first started on the market store, that was all we got, you know, all day long. You just talk to people about it, you know, and, and it's that like level of communication and care, essentially, that we that kind of excel at. And being able to have that like fun with other people, essentially, it's like an excuse for a party kind of thing um, is. Mm. All the events, there's no sort of being part of a community, really, whether it's the art community, the craft community, the fashion community, um, you know, we can get involved in so many things. Um, the workshops were quite an organic thing in a way. I think it's just something we just started doing, literally. Um, we do them at events and then realise how much fun they were. And, and like Harriet says, you know, it's, it's, it's that sort of inclusivity and, and, and ability to allow people into our world um, and just chat to us. We just love talking. <laughs>
So yes. And then the the COVID pandemic, have there been many changes that you have made in the business as a result? Have have there been any lessons you've learned from the pandemic? I um, think it's been a good thing for Tati Divine. Um, it's been sad because we lost our Brick Lane shop, so we moved out of there. But that was like a, it came to a kind of a, like a nice conclusion. But uh, I think I um, have like a, 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 like a big, even though we were in charge before, like I feel now like I have more liberty to work whenever I want, which, I'm, which seems to invariably be more than before. <laughs> But rather than working when everyone else is there, um, it's like I can just have a, an amount of freedom to do what I want. And also I've discovered that I can concentrate on what I'm doing in a, by myself much more than some, sometimes than in a room full of people. And actually it's quite it's quite a positive thing to focus on um, the just the jury as opposed to uh, and the website and the this and the, that and like let everybody do their thing. I think and the trust um, and everybody just doing their thing and in their own way and all coming together as a team um, at like key points during the week is it's really worked well for us. And I think that um, that our team really love it too. You know, it's like they could, if you want to do yoga in the morning, you go do yoga, you know. We've completely sort of shifted, obviously, to a way of working online Um with with regular meetings and and what's been really interesting is as Harriet says rather than all being in a space together um in COVID in the lockdowns and you know we're only just beginning to go back into the workplace really also members of the team um means that we can have a lot of one-on-one calls which we used to struggle with because we did just have one studio space and we might go for, to a coffee shop to have a conversation with someone it wasn't conducive to to anything really Whereas with these very, very direct conversations that we can have one-on-one online, we've, it's really actually become quite powerful. And we've, we've really sort of marched onwards and everyone's been very, and there was a huge sense in COVID of we're all in this together. We're going to get through this together. Um, and the team were absolutely amazing. And, you know, the, the, the production team on day one of lockdown, you know, the three sort of, managers and supervisors in our in our workshop in Kent where it's all made you know they just kept it going one going in to keep the laser cutter cutting one going in to make sure all the parcels could be sent out all the orders could be sent out and then our production manager to make up kits jewelry making kits to send out to the team to make at home and it it ran so beautifully and everybody seemed to really love this sort of hybrid and as Harriet says this trustful way of working where as long as the work is done as long as the job is done we don't need to know that you've clocked in at 9 30 and finished at six we trust you let's all just have a better balance here and as a result um I myself have relocated outside of London um one a couple of others have have moved away and stuff and and it just I think it just sort of promotes a better balance Whereas the studio now, rather than being an office that Harriet's trying to design in, the studio is a, is a creative space that is that is the primary focus. And I think you can really see that in the jewellery because I think it's got better and better over the last sort of two years. If you could speak to your younger selves or any budding jewellery designer out there, what advice would you give? That's two different things. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my advice to my younger self would be, 
go out more, even though we went out all the time, be like, go, go out, get, no, do more, stay out later, don't go home. That's my advice, don't go home, they always stay out till the end. Uh, dance on more tables, <laughs> but maybe eat more vegetables, not drink so much coffee. <laughs> I think that's good advice to anyone, really. <laughs> <laughs> Gosh, it's so hard, isn't it? I think... Um... But it's, it's a different world now. So if the advice to starting to someone now is it's completely different I and mean, also just the same at the same mm-hmm. time. I think people um, are... I mean, it's like you just don't, don't be frightened, I think. Because, I mean, if we were trying to do it now, I would freak myself out by looking on the internet at the thousands of other jewelry brands doing it as well mm. because and then you would it would be like a great big full stop whereas when we started we didn't know anything and we weren't frightened of our naivety because we we're too naive to be frightened of our own naivety um and we didn't have a plan to get to z we were just worried about being in a um so i think you just have to start something and do something if it feels good do it doesn't matter whether you're making bouncy balls or spoons or whatever it is if you love spoons then you know you should make spoons and and don't worry about anybody else making the knives and the forks you you know it's fine just you just have to find the thing that you actually love and enjoy and that you can't stop talking to people about and you're not gonna yeah I think loving loving it complain about Monday morning is absolutely number one because it's on many levels it's like when you do your own thing nobody's going to help or or well they will help but you've just got to love it you've got it's really hard to do something you don't like like we've said so you've got to love it so you want to do it and and it will become successful if you put all your love into it um also if you're selling something it's much easier to sell something you love than that you're not bothered about. So, you know, to, to be able to passionately talk about what you do and, and, and sell it, whether it's an actual product or a service or whatever. Yeah. And then with the selling it, you have to value it. So you have to value your own time and you have to realize that it's, it's worth it. Because like when we first started, you know, you haven't got any money. So you can't believe anybody in the whole world could possibly want to spend 25 pounds on a necklace because you have to find your necklaces in the bin essentially <laughs> but but you know but you but as artists we knew that our idea had a value as well as the actual object that we were making so I think it's really important to strike that balance correctly because if you do get successful you're going to have to pay someone else to make it for you so if you've made it the wrong price in the first place then that yeah, the is other, the other piece of advice which wasn't necessarily at the mm. beginning but at times has been true is at times you think that how can you possibly be the expert at this because there's other people out there and you listen to other people and then you realize no actually I am the expert in this because this is my thing so to listen to your gut and to absolutely hold on to that um and yes you you need to talk to other people you need to take people's advice don't ever let anyone tell you what you should or shouldn't be doing because especially if it's quite a niche product as such only you know best about this and you only you know how to do it and to hold on I have one last question what is in store for you both and the brand in the near future is there anything we can be looking forward to oh my god there's just so much we barely can sit down like because from now from now till Christmas it's just like this like 
poof, just this uh, like thing after thing after thing after thing. We've been making dominoes and we're just going to just flick the switch and they're going to go domino rally everywhere. Um, <laughs> but yeah, some lovely projects. We're working with a lovely illustrator called Gemma Carell and we've got our launch of our new collection coming up next week, which I'm really excited about mm. because that's where we get to, we, we get to, we do these Zooms, it's really exciting where everybody who is interested in the brand will come together and we do all the storytelling around uh, the jewellery for that particular collection. And this, this is a really nice, other nice positive from COVID because in the past we would do it to a room of about 15 people because that's how many people we could get in our space. But, but putting it online suddenly to the world, I think we had 150, 160 people went last time we did it so yeah that's really really exciting deliver their community a fix of color and a platform for their voice rosie and harriet have been successfully running and growing their brand tatty divine as two female role models they show us it can be done and they offer an antidote to the sole designer model which some of us are very familiar with their enthusiasm for the brand and the model with which they run it, even during challenging times, is additionally inspirational. Thank you, Rosie and Harriet, for joining us today to share your story and advice. We look forward to seeing what you do next with Tati Divine. Oh, thank you so much for having us on. It's been a total pleasure. Yeah, thank you, Sophie. Thank you. Next month, I'll be joined by another guest. So watch this space to find out who it is. But for now, this was Sophie Boons for the BAJ podcast episode titled The Colourful World of Tatty Divine with Rosie Wolfden and Harriet Vine. Thank you for listening and have a wonderful day.